welcome to the Spiritual Awakenings podcast. I'm David Lorimer, co-editor of a new book, Spiritual Awakenings, Scientists and Academics Describe Their Experiences. It's published by the Academy for the Advancement of Post-Materialist Sciences and is available in paperback and Kindle editions. In this series of weekly podcasts, we'll be sharing the 57 original essays together with introductions and epilogue from my co-editor, Professor Marjorie Willicott. We hope you enjoy them. Aren't we here to play by Vasilios Basios, read by Martin Redfern. I remember well the feeling of being devastatingly unfulfilled while I was fulfilling my career's goals studying at a good university, quite protected in my academic bubble. Fresh graduate, young and promising as everybody perceived of me, I still felt the world closing in on me. You see, ever since childhood, the world of science was a world of wonders to me. Early in adolescence, I lost my father, and the feelings of injustice, fear, grief, along with the trauma of loss, made me turn to the wonders of science for consolation and meaning. Philosophy would also soothe my wound, but I picked physics to study, perceived to be the fundamental science, and it seemed to me that my answers were to be found there. But this dream would soon exhaust itself. The prevailing materialist reductionist world view is devoid of any solace. Physics, we are told, is explaining how, not why. It is good for making things, especially atomic bombs, but also life-saving surgical lasers and the like. It is also very efficient in reducing everything to random ensembles of mindless elementary particles. Biology, on the other hand, taught us that we and all animals alike are randomly evolved bags of flesh due to our DNA's meaningless execution of biological commands to survive. So there is no meaning in trying to find a meaning. Metaphysics is a thing of the past, for the meek of intellect. That was the intended take-home message. This feeling of existential despair was strongly accentuated at the moment as, together with friendly colleagues, we had finished a round of drinks after participating in the local physics and philosophy club. That day's subject was a discussion on Girdle's, still in those days undeservingly forgotten, results, and I sincerely hoped that learning about the limits of logic would shine some light on the inside of things. In the course of the discussion, someone had mentioned a link to Girdle's work with the problem of measurement and Eugene Wigner's take on consciousness as a foundational key aspect of quantum reality. The poor guy was severely ridiculed on the spot by the crowd. They reached a consensus that we were here to shut up and calculate, not speculate, and off we all went for drinks. Nonetheless, I felt even more alone, existentially alone. Every aspect of fun and joy of science's wonders was reduced in front of my eyes to a grand partition function of physical states doomed to oblivion by the second law of thermodynamics. So I ran away and sought refuge in the library. Somehow, a book with the title 
The Sleepwalkers, A History of Man's Changing Vision of the Universe, fell on my lap. A certain Arthur Kersler, an unfamiliar name to me at that time, was narrating the big watershed moment of the birth of modern science through the lives of Bruno, Kepler, Galileo and Newton. Awe! That was a moment of revelation for me. My great heroes were deeply spiritual. They, too, adhered to metaphysical anchors, mostly without being aware of them. Like the sleepwalkers, they moved at the boundaries between faith and reason, and, at the same time, they moved between these boundaries by their work. I saw traces of perennial philosophy from Pythagoras, Plato and Plotinus guiding their steps, and it dawned on me that the modern denial of metaphysics is itself a metaphysical stand. This fact having dawned on me, I realised that a new sun had also dawned. The library was open twenty-four hours a day, so, unknowingly to me, I had stayed in the whole evening and night. Yet I was not tired, sleepy, thirsty or hungry. Instead I had an immense feeling of joy, and I felt I had tapped into the source of brilliant energy. Everything was clear in my mind. I loved the whole world, even my stubborn colleagues. We are all here to play this wonderful game of self-discovery and learn about the nature of reality by studying the reality of nature. That's science. That's real fun. I knew I had to change things as things have changed in me. For a couple of weeks I dropped off my courses. I was reading other similar stuff like Kersler's book and, effortlessly, connections with my own Hellenistic and Orthodox Christian upbringing emerged via Kersler's introduction to the Hermetic tradition. They were luminous days of reading, thinking, daydreaming, reading again and contemplating. This deep contemplation state also seriously affected my dreaming. My dreams during the subsequent nights were changed to vivid and lucid ones. Before, I would occasionally have nightmares of not fitting in or of just a sensation of an unidentified fear. Not any more. Wonderful dreams started transforming me and my choices. There was also a persistent feeling of trust. Trusting the meaningful coincidences that by now I knew were called synchronicities. Trusting more my friends, family and humans at large. I had started to trust wisdom that stemmed from other ways of knowing. Beyond the prevailing group thinking of materialist reductionism, I could also trust the inside of things and processes, even though I knew that physics and science could not yet, and still cannot, cope with these insights of insidedness, or the enfolded part of the whole, as David Bohm would have put it. This newly discovered joyful trust led me to learn how to better take care of myself and others. I met a wonderful lady, Fotini, my spiritual mum, as my dear wife would affectionately call her. She took me under her wing and taught me the basics of pranayama, or breathwork, and Jungian therapy, and introduced me to my mentor and later good and trusted friend, Emilios Buratinos, 
who tutored me in vipassana meditation and perennial philosophy. It was Emilios's advice to keep on pursuing my physics studies and to move on by joining Prigogine's group in Brussels. Science, free of scientism, regained its luminous, wondrous glories. He was also the one who introduced me to my bosom friends David Lorimer and Peter Fennick and the Scientific and Medical Network. Emilios is also responsible for me meeting the legendary couple Robert or Bob Jahn, the late Dean of Engineering at Princeton University, and the amazing Brenda Dunn, founders of the Pear Lab. Their groundbreaking work has been ever since a source of constant inspiration. Was it a straightforward ascent after the initial crisis and transformation? No, I wouldn't say so. There were and will be a lot of dark corners or dead ends on the road. But this is not so important. What is really important is that there is always this feeling of Leibnizian optimism, a deep-rooted trust in a fundamental well-being. It is more an evolution akin to punctuated equilibrium, where long periods of normality, even occasional vicissitudes, are punctuated with instances of illumination, joy and love. Another bonus of my speck of spiritual awakening is the healing that comes along with it. Paraphrasing Tony Robbins, I would say it is never too late to have a happy adolescence. Even the past can change under the light of love. Abolishing fear, isolation, loneliness and bondage, there is plenty of room to learn how to enjoy life. We are not here to shut up and calculate. We are here to play and learn. Moreover, we are here to learn how to play without injury or trauma and without hurting the other kids in the playground, i.e. human and non-human animals, that accompany us in this grand game of life. Thanks so much for downloading the Spiritual Awakenings podcast. Do join us for the next episode.